Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to come together. We thank you for a chance to study your Bible again. We ask you to open our heart. We ask you to open our mind. And as I always say, that which is pertinent, let it find good ground. And that which is just opinion, Lord, which may not really matter in the scope of all things scriptural, we just ask you that we uh, chew the meat and spit out the bones and we can grow from it either way. I give you thanks tonight. Open my mind and my heart as I teach the scripture. And Lord Jesus, let it refresh us all. And we give you thanks. And can everybody say amen? amen. All right. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him a thousand, bound him in chains for a thousand years. And the angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished, and afterward he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones and people sitting on them that had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those that share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years come to an end... Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle. A mighty army as numberless as the sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. And then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into fiery lake of burning sulfur joining the beast and the false prophet, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can you say amen to the reading the worm? Amen. Here's where we're going tonight. Uh, we're looking at the scope of the kingdom. Part one last week, we looked at God's original intent, uh, the intent, original intent of humans and their purpose, and then creation. And then out of those three, we sort of built what the millennial kingdom will look like based off original intent. What was God's intent in the garden for the original of creation with animals and humans, humans reigning on the earth? What was his original intent of creation as a whole, that everything would be at peace? So we're going to move into three more areas or four more areas tonight. We're going to look at Adam's original rebellion and how that factors into the millennial kingdom, then God's remedy for that rebellion. And then I want to look at two final things as we conclude the millennial kingdom. The, the government of the kingdom and then the environment. Meaning what will it be like when we're there for this thousand year reign on the earth. So we're going to jump into part two tonight with uh, this topic called Adam's original rebellion. And what I want to do is go back into the book of Genesis and pick up the rebellion of Adam. And as we pick up the rebellion of Adam come to, uh, out of an understanding of Adam, come to why we would need a thousand-year reign uh, to really understand why the thousand years, why not a hundred, why not fifty, why not five hundred, why this specific goal of a thousand years. To understand that, uh, I, I go back to the book of Genesis. Remember what I told you, if, I, if I'm stumped here in the New Testament, I run back to the starting point and I come from the starting line and I try to work through. Why? Because as we said in the beginning, God is a God of time. He's eternal, but he places in time. There's a start and there's a finish. What that teaches me about God is everything in the New Testament onward is more toward the finish line. So if you read something in the New Testament, you can get very skewed to understand it if you don't go all the way back to the start, which is what I've tried to do. I'm going to try to do that with the kingdom tonight. So let's look at Adam's original rebellion in Genesis 2. And hopefully it'll make sense. Give you a lot of scripture tonight and then make some thoughts that'll hopefully stretch your brain. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, and in these two words, to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. There's that freedom. We talked a little bit about that last week. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, what happens? Okay, there's this, there's this weird thing that's introduced in Genesis chapter 2. And, and I say weird for a reason. Is that God uses a word that's not even in the vocabulary of anything creation. And it is the word die. God is a God of life. He's not a God of death. He's a God of creation, not just of destruction. So can you imagine when you're man number one and you don't have a large vocabulary and you don't have anything to look back on, you don't have an anchor to come off of, you are the anchor. God, His word is the anchor and He uses the word die. What would that even mean to Adam? There has never been anything for Adam to reference to understand what death would be. It would be a brand new concept to him. It would be no different if I just said unto you, Booba Lugaloo, and you were like, I have no clue what that meant. And I would go, well, that's exactly how Adam felt. He had no clue what die meant, so really what is the threat to him? It couldn't even be that bad because what God said, everything I created was good, so the word you shall surely die unless Adam had a revelation of what death was. He could have. But even giving him a revelation of something he's never experienced is still kind of weird. It's like somebody trying to tell you what heaven is like, but you've never been there. You just kind of have to go off of their own emotions if you've never been or you read a book about somebody who died and went to heaven and we kind of live off of their experience. Well, you can imagine uh, when a living God tells you you may die, the struggle with him. Now, here's why it's a struggle. By the time we get to Eve's sin and Adam's sin in Genesis 3, uh, the serpent will say this to her. Did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the tree? She says, no, it's just this one. We cannot eat it or touch it. Because if we do, we die. Now again, the assumption would be, does she even know what it means to die? Because that's not what God told her. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said the day you eat it, you die. So you can imagine as Eve, if you study the, the story, the Bible says that she took the fruit in her hand. So the moment she takes the fruit, there's already the deception, nothing has changed. I'm still the same after I've touched it, so this word die must not be that bad of a thing. The Bible says she ate it, still nothing happened. She's still good. Because accordingly, what we feel like we get from this is that this was a, a direct command given to Adam. And so it's not until he eats it that something changes and we have this really weird definition of death. It's totally different than what you and I think death is. Because the moment he eats the apple, it says, And the eyes of them were opened, and they realized what? Yes, they realized they were naked, right? So there's something weird here that when God used the word die... It must have meant that some kind of removal of a covering would happen that would open their life up to realize what life was like outside of the covering. Because we know they didn't drop dead, right? I mean, Adam just didn't eat it and then he just dies like we would say death. His heart quit beating, his spirit left his body and off he died. So we, if we go back to this moment, because here we're going somewhere, right? I'm not trying to wing this point out too much. But to understand it, the millennial kingdom, we have to grab this moment or the millennial kingdom makes zero sense. So when he pulls the wool off of his eyes, the covering, which I believe according to the book of Romans is the glory of God. All right, I believe God's glory covered Adam because... Paul will say this, all have sinned and fallen short of what? Fallen short of the glory. Paul will also say, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you the hope of? Glory. Hope of glory. So that I believe it was the glory of God that was covering Adam 
And the moment God says, if you eat it, you die, what happens is man lost glory. And when man lost glory, he would forever fall short of what God wanted, and therefore he dies. For all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin become what we would call now physical death. That's the wage of it. It's not, it's not the initial result. The initial result is a loss of glory. But the wage of it is physical death. Your, your body rots and decays and you die off. Well, as soon as God came to this judgment point and he comes down in Genesis 3, what did you do? We ate it. Who told you you were naked? God clothes them with an animal skin. And, and then the weird thing about that, it's as if they just keep living life. God just says, well, look, let's take death. If you really want to define death, death now is I'm going to have to push you out, watch now, from my original intent. You cannot come back in the garden. So as we begin to define death, here's what we start defining death as. It is a loss of glory that separates you from the original intent of God. And there is no way back into the original intent. You are on a futile course, which is why he put the angel with the flaming sword. You cannot come back into the original intent. Impossible now. So now what we know about death is this. It is a loss of glory and a loss of the original intent of communion and living with God. Never will we be able to do it again. Now out of that loss of glory and in a separation of original intent, we do start the deterioration of humanity. And man starts a death process. Now, it's theologically debated on why they live so long, and there's all kind of reasons why. But we know that man stretches it out into the eight and 900-year range. The longest one to live we're going to look at in a minute. But it is interesting that from the moment they lost glory and pushed out, this deterioration happens. The deterioration from what? The deterioration from the original intent of God. In the day you eat it, you will die. So now if we've determined what death is, we would have to go back and say, then what is a day to God? Because the day you eat it, you die. We know they didn't die physically, so God couldn't have been talking about just in a 24-hour period, you're dead. But if you know where I'm going, uh, we're going to find out in just a minute that a day with God is a thousand years. The book of Peter. Peter will say, don't, don't really be misled here because God's not that slow. A day with God is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. So... Peter gives us that when God says the day you eat it is the day you die. This would be my translation and I'll work through this so it's not just an opinion. I'll try to give it to you scripturally. But I want to build the thought before we just start running through verses. So this is the way we could look at that if we gave the Mark Evans translation of parsing it out. If you eat this thing you will never live a thousand years because you will be separated from my glory, separated from my presence, and you will die. So God literally in his frame says you'll never make it to a thousand, which really makes sense now because how could a human get to 969 years and suddenly your heart goes, yeah, I'm tired. I can understand now we get to about age 80 and we're like, whew, man, I feel like I'm getting older. But my, my dad's 84. If I went to dad and said, dad, just a little heads up, you're going to live another 870 years. We can't even fathom that this man on this front row could live another 870 more years. He probably would say, I don't want to live another 807. If my body's deteriorating at every 100 years, I'm kind of moving on out of eternity here, ready for eternity by age 100. 
that would be a, we would even consider we in our humanity we would even say well Gene lives a hundred well that's a good life and if your uncle or aunt or grandparent dies in their 90s our comment is even well they had a good life the reality of that is to us as a human making a tithe out of what God gave us a thousand we feel like if we can get one-tenth of the way we're doing good and we even applaud you you got one-tenth of the way to what God wanted. Yay for you. You lived a good life. But from God's perspective, you have fallen short of my glory. What is his glory? His glory is 1,000 years alive with him. That's his glory. So when Paul says you've fallen short, we would say way short. Especially if we die in our 90s, we're way short. So with that in mind, let's run through why the thousand years and try to explain it with some charts and scripture. When Adam was 130, which is a pretty good age, that's 70 beyond my dad, he became the father of the son who was just like him in his very image. Now what we know is that Adam cannot produce children in the image of God. So this teaching that says all humans are born in God's image is a lie. You're not born in the image of God. Adam was, but not you. You were born just like Adam. You're born with no glory, and you're born with an inability to reach glory because you'll never get to a thousand years. You're in Adam's image. So when people say all humans are in the image of God, no, we're in the image of Adam. If we were in the image of God, we wouldn't need to be born again. The reason we have to be born again is to get back to the image of God. So Adam names his son Seth, and after the birth of Seth, listen to this. This is mind-blowing. If you just read over it, it just, it just kind of doesn't even impress you much. But Adam lived another 800 years. Holy smoke. And if he's multiplying and replenishing the earth with Eve, they've popped out a lot of children. We're going to talk about that in the book of Genesis, where, where Cain's wife came from. And he had other sons and daughters. Don't you wish God would have just helped a brother? Like, tell me their names. How many more sons and daughters? Why only Seth? And this is Mark's opinion. Because Seth is the one in the line of Jesus and all other knowledge is a moot point to God. You and I want to know all the other kids Adam and Eve had. But God's like, chill. Seth's the one you need because he's the line Jesus is coming in. So that's kind of a thought. Now here, this is weird too. And Adam lived 930 years and now another word he died. So now we have kind of a translation from God what death is. Death is a loss of glory, a separation from my eternal presence and my original intent to fellowship with humans, and physically your body shuts down. So that's the way we would define death scripturally. You're absent from the presence of God, you do not have the glory of God. You'll never live the thousand years and uh, you'll die physically too. Your soul will leave your body. So that's the biblical scope of death. Which is why Jesus will say, you must be born again. I have to remedy the physical loss of glory. And it's also why I offer eternal life and a kingdom. Because not only am I going to end the physical result of no glory, I'm going to give you the freedom now to live a thousand years. I'm going to do both for you. So I'm going to remedy the physical side of death, which is a separation from my presence, but I'm so gracious, I'm going to let you experience what it's like to live a thousand years. You'll be one of the first humans, if we make it, to the kingdom that will watch people live a thousand years with a physical earthly body. All right? So let's try to check it on out. When Methuselah, if you genealogy and you're ever on the Bible reading project, this is a great test for you. Methuselah was Noah's granddaddy. Okay, so this is Noah's granddaddy. Methuselah was 187 years old. He became the father of Lamech. And Lamech, 
At the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived another 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Wish God had told us who they were. And Methuselah lived 969 years. What happened to him? Now, for sake of it all, Granddaddy Methuselah is the oldest person recorded in the Bible to have ever lived. Which again makes my logical scientific brain say, why did he die here? He's so close. <laughs> you only need 31 more years. Did he choke on a chicken bone or something? Did he fall off a cliff? Did he get bit by a snake? I mean, you've made it 969. Don't you know people like, dude, you're almost at the thousand-year mark. You're the oldest. You're cheering every birthday. Paul, Paul, Methuselah, 969. 31 more, and you're going to break the curse. But no, he's 31 years shy of the thousand years. I'll tell you why in a minute. Why he died at that age and not 980. Next verse. When Lamech, which is Noah's dad, was 182 years old, he became the father of a son, and Lamech named his son Noah. For he said, may he bring us relief. And this, I put it in blue. Relief from our work and painful labor of farming the ground that the Lord has cursed. So now they even bring up that they understand this generation of people somehow was passed down from Adam that there is a curse. And they're under the curse. So Adam or somebody, I'm assuming Adam, passed down to his kids and kids to kids to kids and now to Noah. And Noah was actually named by Lamech. I guess prophetically he knew that his son is going to end all the painful labor. So after the birth of Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Don't have time to get into it. If you ever want to study, it's great. Lamech lived how many years? Seven. Yeah, come on now. We studied the number seven. If you ever want an interesting thing, just study why Noah's dad lived 777. My belief is, is because he is the father of the way God is going to finish this issue with Adam's thousand-year loss of life. And when he died, Noah was 500 years old, and he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. One more verse it's very important, Genesis 7. At 600 years old, so Noah's 600. So it took him 100 years to build the boat because God showed up at age 500 and said, I got a job for you. And then a hundred years later, the flood comes. So what we can deduce from math and age, it took Noah a hundred years to cut trees, drag trees, and build a boat. Now at the end of that hundred years, the flood water comes. So at age 600 to Noah, the flood water comes. Here's the scripture I told you in Peter. But you not, must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. So the New Testament kind of prophetically looks backward, so to speak, and gives us a great panoramic of what God is thinking. Adam, the day you eat, you'll never live a thousand years. As a matter of fact, that's going to be one of the problems. The other problem is you're going to lose my glory and my presence. And when you do, you'll never live to be a thousand years old no matter how hard you try. You will get very close, 969, but you'll never cross the finish line. What God was letting us know is that we were so graciously made that humans can accomplish a whole lot without God. We don't really need God to accomplish great things. We can give God the middle finger and still cure science. I mean, cure cancer. Because we're humans. We have, we have just crazy amounts of wisdom given to us by our maker. Modern medicines. However, the one thing we cannot do with all of our modern medicines is barely get you past age 100. As brilliant as we are. We can't even get you to one-tenth of what God originally wanted for us. So let's not get too awful hyped up of how smart we are as humans. We can't really even get you one-tenth of the way home. 
And if you do get one-tenth of the way home, you're usually not going out in style. You're going out old and knees worn out. And hopefully you can remember who's talking to you. I mean, that's the natural progression of how death can go if you're not dying in faith. So this is where we land in all of this to teach you why the millennial kingdom. So I, I threw this chart up here to show you why in Revelation 20 we have an, a thousand year reign of Christ. It's very intentional. It's not haphazard. With everything God starts, God wants to finish. And with Adam, he wanted to start, you can live every day with me all your life and never die. But Adam blew it. And since that was started with, you'll never make it. God has to finish it. So what God is going to do is make a huge statement with this thousand-year reign. And it's not just so we can have a thousand years and dance with God for a thousand years. God is making an eternal statement to the heavenly realms, to the angels, and to the humans, and to the church at large. Those of us that are his children. The impossibility goes something like this is that it makes you wonder how did Methuselah get to 969 years and die 31 years short. So let's figure it up. We'll just put it out there. At age 187, Methuselah has Lamech. At age 182, Lamech has Noah. And then at age 600, the flood comes. And if we add up all those numbers, 187 for Methuselah, 182 for Lamech, and 600 for Noah before the flood, the day Methuselah dies is the day the flood comes. 31 years short of 1,000 years is the day the flood came. So God let them get really close and then God said this is as close as you're ever going to get because after this point, if you read scripture, the years uh, the patriarchs live are significantly lower. They're in the hundreds. You'll never see anybody after the flood get into the six, seven, eight hundred range, 500 range, 400 range. They all die in the mid hundreds to low hundreds. Maybe about 120 even, God says, you know, some theologians believe he gives you 120 years, that's it. But what we do know here is that God was holding a promise to Adam. If Methuselah makes it to a thousand years old, I've lied to Adam. Because a thousand years is a day to me and a day is a thousand. So when, when Noah was born and when Methuselah was born, God started counting. When Lamech had Noah, he named him prophetically that there would become a relief from him, a, a, you know, a rest from him that he prophesied. And so the flood came. Yes, when we read it, we see that God says, my spirit will not contend with man a long time anymore. I wish I would have never made them. But... Please know this, it's not just that God killed them because he was so ticked at humans. He was very frustrated that he made them and he said how wicked they were. But also, he's not just doing it out of sheer anger. He's doing it as his nature and character is that he's faithful. And he never lies. Titus 1-2, he cannot lie. So he really has, he's either going to have to kill everybody off one by one right before a thousand or he just... As he does, he remedies the whole problem at one thought. Here's the thought. Adam could only birth death, turmoil, and pain. He would never in his own strength be able to offer any of his seed the blessed rest promised by God. He would fall short on all accounts of God's original glory. And so there had to be a remedy. If there's a first Adam, what does there have to be? A last Adam. If the first Adam is the problem and the problem has no remedy, then God has to provide the remedy for Adam and we're going to find out that the last Adam's name is Jesus, which will show us is why we read in New Testament those words, glory, you've fallen short of the glory, Christ in you the hope of glory, is because Paul is teaching us something about this necessity of the remedy. 
there's not just a problem, there has to be the remedy. If there's no remedy, then God's really not God. If God didn't just say, well, you can't get a thousand years, sorry. But God so loves us and wants to have relationship and wants to live with humans, which is weird, forever. And wants to uh, have us intertwine with him in, in a relational fashion to dwell with humans. He has to fix the problem or he's a liar. Because no human could live in a physical body with God ever or God would be a liar. That's why when the body died, they just had to stay in the ground. Because if you can't live forever or, or I would be a liar. You're going to have to get an immortal body. All right? 1 Corinthians 15, this tells us who the last Adam is. It's going to give us an answer. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. That's a pretty good thing, right? So we do understand that God is going to connect Jesus back to Adam. Now here's what's really weird if you continue to dig and read that passage. Look at verse 47. This is where it becomes really weirdly uh, kind of heart-wrenching. Adam... What do we call him? The first man. All right? And I've taught this before here. Was made from the dust of the earth while Christ, who's Christ? Weird, right? I mean, if you, in case you weren't here when I taught this before, this is a, a, a thought for you. You would think that Cain and Abel would be man number two, man number three. Seth would be man number four. Not with God. The moment Adam, first man, lost his glory, lost the right to his eternal presence with him to dwell with him, and was kicked out of his presence and now would die in, in less than a thousand years, my belief is God quits counting man. Man are dead to him. There's no reason for me to count because every one of you are dead. So he starts counting, Jesus is man number two. Man number one, everything out of him is death. I don't count death. I will start recounting it man number two. Which is why he will use the word born again. I'm recounting. So man one, sin. Man two, the answer. And that's just a thought. You can dig it out. But it isn't interesting why Jesus is called the second man. Because God's looking at it differently. And this is what he says. Earthly people are like the earthly man. So there's all of us born without Jesus or born again. Heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just like the earthly man, someday we'll be like the heavenly man. These dying bodies, and very interesting, takes us all the way back to Genesis. A dying body can't inherit what will last forever. So there's a big problem here with God. How do, how do I get these humans to be with me forever? Let's go back to our timeline and look at the impossibility of the thousand years and maybe how brilliant God is in the whole scheme of things and not one thing about the thousand years has taken God by surprise. Number one comes Methuselah. In Genesis 5.25, he lived 969 years. He's the oldest living man in the line of the first man, and he dies. His testimony is, his final words are, and he died. So first man Adam's final testimony of all of them is, and they died, Genesis 5, and they died, and he died. Now we pick up man number two, which is interesting. If you've ever wondered, why did Jesus' ministry start at the age he started? Which if you read Luke 3, verse 23, it says that Jesus' ministry started at about age 30. All right? So it doesn't take too brilliant math. I wasn't good in math. But if I told you you're about 30, how old would you be? 29. All right, I mean, I'm going to go logic here. He's about 30, so I'm going to go, you're about 29 years old then. You're almost 30, you're about to have a birthday. Luke says, this is when the ministry of Jesus started. 
Now, when the ministry of Methuselah ended at 969 man one, the ministry of the second Adam started and the second man, last Adam started and the second man started at about age 29. So Jesus has got 29 years added to 969. We need about how many years to break 1,000 now? About three. Jesus' ministry lasted how long on the earth? Three years before they killed him. Why didn't he make it to 40? God only needs Jesus to fulfill to age 32 because if he can live to age 32, the second man coupled with the first man will break the thousand year problem and will be the answer to the curse. We'll put it up on the screen and let you look at it. 969 for the first man. Plus, if he started at age 29, about 30, and he died three years later, that'd make him 32, 29, 30, 31, 32. If we add 969 first man plus 32 in the second man, we come up with 1,001 years, which is the birth of the new man. In Christ, you now have broken the curse. If you do not add Jesus to your first man, by confessing his lordship as the second man, those years will never be added to your life. You will never get the glory and you will never have eternal life and you will never have the curse broken. This is why Jesus is so necessary. Your best effort, you fall short 31 years. And God in his godness looked at it and thought, well, there's the first guy. I counted to 969. I need a second one because i got to prove to him that you can get to 1,000. And he does it with Jesus. The problem is if you don't study Old Testament New Testament and look at all that to come up with the new man, we're new in Christ. God now says, I want everybody to know this reality. So to know that I am the answer to the curse that I have broken the curse, that I give humans back the glory, that I offer them a chance into the presence of my eternal Father, I'm going to allow humans to live on the planet for a thousand years under my rule. And this is where we wind up. Jesus, the last Adam, on his resurrection day, unveiled the new life possibility of breaking the thousand-year curse. The curse is now broken you can live forever with Jesus. You don't have to worry about no glory anymore. But what he's going to do, not just for me and you who believe, but for all of these people that are still alive through the tribulation, he's going to allow those human beings to experience what it's like for a human to live in the presence of God for 1,000 years. And it is going to be mind-blowing because they are going to choose exactly what Adam chose. I want to do me, man, not you. Which is why at the end of the thousand years, proving to Lucifer I've broken the curse, proving to human the nations I've broken the curse, proving to the nations that didn't want to worship me but you've been here a thousand years, I want to prove to all of you that you're just like your father, Adam. And I'm going to loose the devil to go tempt you to give you the free will to do what your father, Adam, did. And according to what we read, Lucifer takes them all off into oblivion in the lake of fire. Because what we understand is, unless you're born again, even under the grace of a thousand years, you must choose him. He doesn't force it on you. He don't get to the thousand years and goes, all right, boys, for eternity you're faced with me whether you like me or not. It's not how God works. At the, the moment the thousand years is broken, he tells Lucifer, come out and deceive them all. Why would you deceive them all? Because I don't want anybody in eternity with me who doesn't want to be here. I want them to do what Adam did. I want them to have the right to choose me. I don't want to force them to choose me. And what we just read is he deceives almost all of, can you imagine that? Almost all of the nations that were born during the thousand year reign have been deceived to turn their back on him and do what Adam did. 
And we're all like mad at Adam, like, I can't believe he would turn his back. Wait till the, uh, the thousand years worth of humans turn their back on him. We won't even be able to fathom that. We would even have that conversation. How could anybody live a thousand years with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, with Jesus himself reigning on the throne with the miracles and turn their back? And we'll go, well, do it just like Adam did it. He did the same thing. All right? So that tells you why the thousand years. So I tried to explain that. So let's run through these two. I'll let you fill in the blanks. Adam's original rebellion... The millennial kingdom will demonstrate that it's now possible for a human to live a thousand years because Jesus destroyed the curse. And then number two, the millennial kingdom will expose the gift of free will. So for those that you know feel like there is no free will, God chooses you, you don't, you know, that whole thing, you don't even have a choice. Millennial kingdom will teach us we have a choice because the nations will be deceived. He won't force them to serve him. So those are the two things that I take out of Adam's rebellion. Is number one, it tells me there needs to be a thousand-year reign to prove a point. And number two, at the end of that thousand-year reign, all humans have a free will. God's original remedy, here it is. Let's look at the remedy for the problem and see if we can determine what happens. God said in Genesis 3.15, I'll cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and I'll strike his heel. So back to the original intent. The remedy is God is going to deal with Lucifer. And so in the thousand-year reign, God will do the same thing. He will deal with Lucifer and he will put him away for a thousand years, but that still is not the end of Lucifer. And a thousand years later, before he's actually done with and put into the lake of fire but it too is an answer to a prophetic word that happened on the cross. 1 John 3.8 But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But here's, here's the original remedy. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So one thing the millennial kingdom is going to do is lock the devil away for a thousand years and give humans the freedom to see what it's like to live without the works of the devil. There will be no murder. There will be no sickness. There will be no hate. Uh, there will be no lust in the sense of any way it could manifest. It doesn't mean it wouldn't still be in the heart. There just won't be a way for it to manifest because in the kingdom, and I'll teach you that in a little bit when we get into the environment. Hebrews 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For as a human being, he could die, and only by dying again, why the millennial kingdom, to teach us that he broke the power of the devil. We know it spiritually now because people teach us the cross destroyed, but for those that don't know the gospel, they've been allowed into the kingdom, they're born during the thousand-year reign, they're going to see the actuality that Jesus has destroyed the power of the devil. He's not here to tempt and to deceive right now. We get a thousand years free of him. And obviously death will be staved off a long time in the millennial kingdom. And there won't be a fear of dying. He's going to deliver those so we understand how that feels. Revelation 27 and 9, we read it. When the thousand years come to an end, which again is weird, Satan will be let out of his prison. And he will go to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. So all of those humans that have been here a thousand years, that not the church and not the saints, the human beings that survived that are in the kingdom for a thousand years, they've had children, sons and daughters, they've lived life, they've lived with Jesus ruling and reigning. And in that thousand year time at the end, Satan goes out not to deceive the church and not to deceive the Jews. He goes out to deceive all of those sheep nations that were allowed to come in and all of the children and daughters and sons that were born to deceive them. Why? Because he's going to do his best to do what he did back here with Adam to stop humans from enjoying the eternal presence of God. I don't know how many go. It doesn't say. It just says a mighty army as numberless as the sand along the seashore. So obviously in the 
thousand year reign, there's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of human beings born. I, I would think maybe even close to what we see now on planet earth. I saw him as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. So he'll gather them all. He'll head to Jerusalem, uh, that city that came down where he's ruling. Jesus is ruling Jerusalem. He'll gather them all there, the plain of the earth, and surround them and try to kill them. But this time it's a little different. It's not a long, drawn-out war. It's just fire from heaven comes down and consumes them all. Now, I don't know if that's everybody I don't know if everybody will be deceived, if some will and some won't. The Bible really doesn't tell us. What we do know is God is fair. If your name is written in a Lamb's book of life, you get into eternal life. We'll look at that in two weeks to come. But we, we do know that obviously Satan still has a great power over the freedom of humans because numberless people will follow him. To overthrow Jesus. To me, that's, again, it's almost just mind-boggling that you could live with Christ a thousand years and do this. But here's what you have to know. If everybody in the thousand years was giddy to be there, he wouldn't need us to rule and reign. You only have to rule and reign over people who need ruling and reigning over. And we will have to rule and reign over them. We told you that a few weeks ago out of Zechariah 14. Revelation 20.10, Then the devil who deceived him was thrown in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. And then we'll look at this in the weeks ahead, tormented day and night forever and ever in the lake of fire. Here's God's original remedy and what it will look like in the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom, the thousand years, will demonstrate the devil is defeated. How? Because we will cross the thousand year mark. It will be the first time the devil's seen a physical human species live a thousand years. And it will be a statement to him when he's loosed that Jesus destroyed that curse because they broke the thousand year mark. And it will also prove that even without the devil around, human hearts will still need to be born again. If not, they couldn't be deceived because they're still connected to Adam's rebellious nature. So even though they live in the millennial kingdom, it obviously doesn't guarantee them eternal life. And that's kind of what we need to delineate, and we will hopefully in the weeks ahead delineate the difference between you'll not inherit the kingdom, which are a lot of passages, no gossip, no drunk, no homosexual inherit the kingdom, but the kingdom is vastly different from eternal life. As at the end of the thousand years, the kingdom on earth will come to an end and we enter into eternity, eternal life, living with God forever. I don't know if that'll be on, we'll look at it, but I don't know if that'll be on the earth only or all the vastness of the created world of what that would look like. Let's look at the government real quick. How will God rule during this time? How is he going to rule? And here's a brief definition of the kingdom. It's heaven's rule and reign over earth and all creation. It's heaven's rule and reign over earth and all creation. The first time in the first Adam, it was done through Adam and his children. They blew it before they even had children. But it was supposed to be done through him because he said, through your seed... You're to multiply and reign over the earth. And then, since that one didn't work, the way the kingdom's going to work is through the last Adam and his children, which will be the church and the Jew. We will rule and reign with him. Those that have been born again and resurrected will reign with him. Let's just run through some scriptures. Be pretty simple, but just to show you that God's always wanted to use humans. Genesis 1.27, he created them in him. He said, now be fruitful and reign, govern and reign over it. And then again, this scripture I gave you, the first Adam became a living person. There's all his children, but he didn't rule and reign. He lost it. But the last Adam has his children. He's a life-giving spirit. And so God's intent was, first Adam would rule through his kids, but he didn't. So now my original intent, still the same, I want my children to rule which is where we come to why I believe the church and the Jew. The time promised by God has come at last, Jesus will say. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe. So there's something about the kingdom that is an opportunity to learn repentance. Uh, as they're living in the kingdom, 
It will be a sign of how to live repentant. Uh, you will either do what I tell you to do as a king or you'll pay the price for it. That's the government of God. You don't do what I tell you to do, you pay a price over it. Jesus called out, just so you know, that he's the king, right? We call him the king, the lamb of God come to the earth. He's not king of kings yet, he will be. It's a title right now, the reality is coming. But here's what he said, the king, the Lord said, follow me. In other words, he's always wanted humans to be part of his process, which again is rather strange. You'd think we've blown it so much, he would just say, forget all of you. I can't trust you worth a flip, but he's always pulling us in. That's powerful. He's always bringing us into the mix. Come on, this has been my original intent for you to be my children and to rule with me. We know the story of those 12 fellas. They blow it. But he picked even more. He said, don't worry, I'm going to give you my spirit. And then he says this, if you'll just endure, you'll reign with me. I just want you to endure. In other words, hold tight, hold fast, and you'll be able to reign with me. And then this in Revelation 24, he said, I saw thrones and people sitting on them. I gave them authority to judge, which is strange that God's going to actually share authority with us in the kingdom. It won't just be him throwing out laws from Jerusalem. He will use us to be judge, to sit there with him on the throne. Then it says at the bottom they came to life and they reigned with him for a thousand years. So there's a very specific meaning there again. We only reign with him a thousand years. We're reigning over the humans that are here. We'll talk about eternity later, what that will look like. Still, he chooses humans. Zechariah 14, just so you understand, why would we need to reign? Here it is. In the end, the armies of Jerusalem who survived the plague will go up to Jerusalem, each the enemies of Jerusalem who survive. So there they are. They'll have to go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king, the Lord of Heaven's army, and to celebrate the festival of shelters. We talked about that in the past, those during the millennial kingdom, the festival is still going on, the sacrifices. And any nation in the world that refuses to come to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, will have no reign. So God lets them know, you, if you're going to live here the thousand years, you're still going to have to obey, live by what I say. And if the people of Egypt refuse to attend, I'll punish them with the same plague that he sends on other nations who refuse to go. And all Egypt and the other nations will be punished. So what we need to know that in this millennial kingdom where all these nations are, let's don't just act like they're all riding around on stick horses giddy. They will start not liking the king to rule over them. You would have thought when Jesus came the first time, Hosanna, he's awesome, a day later, kill the bro. That's how quick humans can turn. So this thousand-year reign where it's grace and he's going to let you live a thousand years there's going to come, I believe, a lot of animosity that rises up, although there's really no way to go because there's no devil to work on it, but the heart is still dark, and they'll need reigning over, and that's going to be our job. Isaiah 9, this is beautiful passage of Scripture. It really tells us how the government will be during this thousand-year reign. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and its peace will never end. Here is the government. I'll just put them all up for you of the millennial kingdom. <clears throat> Out of that scripture in Isaiah 9, for the thousand years, the government will be on his shoulders. And what that means is his justice will prevail. Right now we live in a, a nation where we wonder if justice prevails. Just watch the news. A police officer shoots somebody or vice versa, they shoot a police and we're all burning down towns and looting stores because we want justice to be done. And we even say, no justice, no peace, no justice. Well, during the thousand-year reign, justice will be. He will be totally just and he will be fair and right. Wonderful counselor, his purposes will prevail. During the thousand-year reign, whatever his wisdom is, it will prevail. His wisdom will prevail. His advice, that word counselor means advisor, advice. His advice will prevail. It won't be the, the prevailing advice of Republicans or Democrats or some dictator. His advice will prevail. Mighty God, his rule will prevail. No king of any nation will overthrow him. He will rule with an iron fist and a sword. 
He's everlasting Father, meaning His kindness will prevail. He will show His kindness to all. And then He's the Prince of Peace, meaning His kingdom prevails. So in all of that, He's going to teach us during the thousand years, I prevail. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, I'm God, I'm Jesus, I will prevail. No widow, no, no orphan, nothing will be left behind under my justice. And now let's look at something that we'll conclude with real quickly on the environment. Because a lot of people know what's it going to be like for a thousand years. Will there be rain? Will there? Of course there'll be rain. We just read in Zechariah 14 that if they don't come to the festival, it won't rain. But let's just read some verses and we'll end. I will make a covenant of peace with my people. Just, just imagine this. And I'll drive away all the dangerous animals from the land, and then they'll be able to count safely in the wildest places, sleep in the woods without fear. Wouldn't you like just sleep and not even have to worry about a tarantula, rattlesnake, a bear, nothing. You won't even have to worry with fear. I'll bless my people. I'll bless their homes. And in the proper season, I'll just send them all the showers they need, and there will be showers of blessing. They will no longer be prey for other nations, so there won't be any war during this thousand years. There'll be no bloodshed, there'll be no killing, no humans preying on other humans, no rape, no murder, no injustices done. Uh, you won't have to worry about sex trade, you won't have to worry about your children. You won't even have to worry about getting eaten by an animal. You'll be able to swim with great white sharks. You'll be able to get in the ocean with all kind of creatures, not even worry about it. They will live in safety and no one will frighten them. A thousand years of never being afraid. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that in itself ought to make you, make you clout. That was, I don't really care to swim with a great white, but to live without ever being frightened is pretty incredible. Amen. And that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. And the leopard will lie down with the baby goat and the calf and the yearling will be safe for the lion and the little child will lead them all. You imagine taking your grandkid to the zoo and they're screaming, I want to pet the tiger, I want to pet the tiger. You're like, go ahead, honey. Just get out there and pet the tiger. I mean, that's a weird thought, right? But it takes us back to the original intent that animals will not eat other animals. That's part of the curse. Animals will eat probably fruit. Animals will eat grass. Animals will eat trees or whatever. Leaves be a very vegetarian diet. My belief is, just my belief, you don't have to believe it, but... My belief is in the millennial kingdom it will be uh, all vegetarian seeds and fruit as God intended Adam before death really came. There won't be any bloodshed of that nature. I'm just guessing. I mean, that's my opinion. Um, the, the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and I love the fact that a child will lead them all. Look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth, and no one will ever even think about the old one. I often hear people say, well, will I remember my kids? Will I remember my husband? Will I remember? It's because in this world, that's what we're so locked into. But in the kingdom, uh, you won't even be thinking about this. You're, you won't even, you won't, here's the deal. Whatever it's like, you won't be disappointed. Amen. Will I know my husband? And, and then we would say to the woman that's been married five times, which one? All of them maybe, none. Will you get up there? Is it going to be really awkward when you see husband once you really love it? Husband two and three, eh, not so much. You just married them off the rebound. Oh, God, a thousand years of these guys. Ugh. That, that mentality that we have is that that millennial kingdom will still be the same way that we think here. And I'm going to have to awkwardly avoid my ex. It, you're going to think differently than you do now. You won't be up there going, oh, God, I... I I don't know what it'll be like. I'm sure we will know each other, but there won't be the animosity and sin behind all the hurt and pain that we have now. There won't be the walls that are up because of abuse and hurt, because we'll be in a whole different kind of environment. So what, whoever is there, man, one, two, three, four, wife, one, two, three, whatever's there, it won't be awkward. We will be living in a perfect state of really why we were created which was to be with God. All right? Nobody, I don't know what it'll be, but nobody's going to get up there and go, I really feel like I got the raw end of the stick here. Isaiah 65. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people in the sound of weeping and crying. 
will be heard no more. That tells me there will be no heartache, no sadness, no bad news. Your child died, your mother died, your kid died in a car wreck. There won't be any more crying for that period of time. All right? Isaiah 65, no longer will babies die, only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you make it 100 and you, you won't even be considered old. You're like, you're just a little young whippersnapper. How old are you, Ann? She's like 480. Oh, you're just a, you're a little whippersnapper, right? You're not even halfway home yet. Right? Only the, look at the word again, just to pull it all together, what I've been saying. Only the cursed die that young. So he's really letting you know this thing of the millennial kingdom is dealing with this thing of the curse, which is here's the thing that may help you, and I'll try to end. I'm a little over, but just so you know. The way we know Jesus now is in the realm of a cursed world. There, we will know him outside of a cursed world. It will be a totally different way to know him. Now it's like, please give me peace. Please give me rest. Please give me safety. Please protect me when I'm travel. They won't even need those prayers there. Because that stuff won't be part of why we would tell you now you need him. So it will be a whole different kind of relationship. Isaiah 65, unlike the past, invaders won't take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees. And my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They won't work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they'll people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. Amen. Come on, hallelujah. Amen. I don't know how old trees are, but I'll get to live as long as them. This one is really interesting. Isaiah 65, I will answer them before they even call to me. Now here's a thought that um, in this millennial kingdom, Jesus will know what you need before you even ask him for it. So there will be, some, my belief is that there will be some way the king will communicate to around the, the sphere of his kingdom, he will know the thoughts and intents of every person before they even express those. And before you even can say, I have a need in his kingliness, he will meet the need before you even ask him for it. Because he already knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. And when they're still talking about their needs, I'll go ahead and answer the prayer. So he lets us know that in the kingdom there's going to be this real strangeness where people will have needs, but he's answering those needs before they even are allowed to express them. The way I believe it will be going, personally, I believe the king in Jerusalem, Jesus, will be communicating with his church via the Spirit to download what needs are in places around the corners of the earth where you're ruling and reigning before they ever express themselves so we can handle it as we rule and reign with him. Again, the wolf and lamb will feed together. The A, and this kind of answers what I was saying, the lion will eat hay, which is strange, like a cow. And then, I love this, He's, God's pretty intent, but the snakes will eat dust. In other words, he's going to let us know something that even in the millennial kingdom, he's not going to let this curse go when this serpent opened himself up to Lucifer. And he's going to let them know that they're still going to be under the same curse that they always were. They're not going to be loosed out from under that curse. Because they were used by Lucifer as the first entrance into creation. And they'll only be dealt with when he's let go. In those days, again, no one will be hurt or destroyed. Don't you love that? Amen. So let's look at the environment. I'll give them all to you. Here's the environment of that thousand years. It'll be a covenant of peace. There'll be freedom from all danger. Showers of blessing, there'll be zero lack on all realms. No prey, everything will be reconciled. Nobody will eat anybody, kill anybody. No nations, no animals. Everyone, even your children, will be blessed. 
and long life and there'll be no misfortune. And then the snake will still eat the dust and the reason why is to remind us that at the end, judgment still awaits. It awaits, and this is the next verses in the next chapters. Everyone who's rejected him, everyone who's turned their back on him, even the snake will pay the price for rejecting him after the thousand-year reign. And that's what we'll pick up next week with the judgment seat of Christ and what happens when the dead stands in front of him. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're blessed by it. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.